On this episode of Connected, we look back at the year in IoT, security, innovations, and what it means for the next years. This and more on Connected. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Connected, Episode 4, Technology, Trends, and Predictions, recorded January 28th, 2016. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Connected, Everything IoT. I'm your host, David Danto. Um, as you guys know, I'm the Director of Emerging Technology for the IMCCA, and I'm one of Dimension Data's principal consultants, so working in collaboration in the uh, UC space. Um, this is our second show after the conclusion of the CES show this year. The first one was action-packed and filled with a lot of videos, and I demonstrated a lot of technologies for you, but really didn't get a chance to chat about it very much. Um, so here on this show, um, I wanted to bring in some uh, some colleagues of mine uh, that are that are brilliant, that understand the space, that are following, and we'll talk about some of what we see going on in technology trends uh, in general, what we saw at CES, and then what we think is going on really in the collaboration AV and UC space, because obviously we're doing this for our AV Nation TV audience. So let me let me pause right there and introduce my colleagues one at a time and let them uh, uh, tell us a little bit about who they are and what they do. So Simon, can we start with you? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Simon Dudley. I'm the CEO and Chief Contrarian of Accession Events, uh, consultant in the video conferencing in UC space, and most of my work's involved with helping organizations move from a boxes-based business model to a cloud-based business model these days. It's, it's interesting how marketing got reinvented over the last 10 years and sales hasn't. So a lot of my work's in that, but I'm excited to be involved in today's conversation. So thanks, Dave, for getting me involved. Thank you, Simon. Uh, David, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Dave. Um, my name is David Malto. I'm the founder and CEO of Let's Do Video. We're a news and analysis site. I cover business communications and team productivity with, of course, a, a very heavy focus on the video. Uh, all in all, I've been following this industry for over 10 years. And Dave, I really enjoyed your video from CS, and I'm, I'm happy you invited me here to uh, chat about it. Great. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you. Um, and finally, Erwin? Yeah, hi, this is Erwin Lazar. I'm Vice President and Service Director at a market research and IT research firm called Nemertis. Uh, lead our coverage around unified communications collaboration, focusing largely on, on enterprise organizations, helping them uh, make hopefully better decisions about collaboration communications, including video. And thank you and happy to be here as well. Terrific, guys. Thanks very much for joining me. So, I mean, I've started a number of these connected shows with references to the Terminator, you know, that artificial intelligence is taking over and we're all just doomed. And, you know, when we were looking at some of the things that came out of CES this year, there were robot bartenders uh, and there were, there were robotic things. But the difference is, instead of having all these artificial technologies communicating to us, the artificial technologies were now talking with each other. Um, you know, uh, Samsung showed a refrigerator that could take pictures of the inside of the fridge and knew whether or not you were running out of supplies. And it's only, you know, a little leap from that to it, it actually getting your Visa card and ordering it for you online. Or, or you know, whether we're talking about streetlights as you walk down a street, Panasonic showed some really amazing technologies that, that your streetlights will all talk to each other, knowing when you're leaving one, when the next one's coming up, and they'll all dim and bright as they need to and save energy. And they also showed how airplanes are talking to each other now about turbulence. It no longer 
requires the pilots to get on the comm and tell everybody that, uh, that, that you know, we're hitting turbulence, you need to be careful, try and find a route. They're all communicating with each other and flying themselves, essentially, around the turbulence if possible. So, you know, is it, are we at the rise of machines? Is artificial intelligence going to be, you know, are we going to be slaves and the Matrix going to start and Terminator <laughs> and all the other mixed metaphors? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And so let me start by saying, uh, I agree entirely, Dave, that the computers are going to talk to each other a lot more, I think, than we are going to talk to the computers. We won't need to talk to the computers in the sense that they will guess, they will be like the ultimate butler, in that they will all talk to each other behind, you know, downstairs, as it were, and they will all interact, in fact, uh, and work out what we want. Uh, Salesforce has already understood this. They understand that Salesforce started as a platform for CRM, and they're realizing that all their developments, or a lot of their developments now, are around this idea that machines will be sending messages to each other, and all that data, they hope, will live within the Salesforce environment. So I think that the internet of stuff and this way that they'll all communicate with each other, and we will simply blithely go about our days without even understanding that I put my hand out and there's a cup of tea there ready for me, has been worked out because the AI has done all that work for us. It's interesting. Yeah, I, Sorry, Dave, oh, go on. Yeah, I also don't see it as a scary thing, but as things working the way they always should have worked. If I'm driving around at three in the morning and I'm the only one in town, forget about self-driving cars, assume I'm still driving, there's no way a light should be red when I pull up to it. My car should be talking to the grid, the grid should be talking to the light, the light should be green when I'm two blocks away. Uh, it's crazy that I'm, and how many times have you sat for minutes at a red light at three in the morning when there's no other cars out there. Um, so I think it's just going to be things working the way they always should have worked. I, I think, so I'll, um, I'll take a little bit of a, good. Yeah, I'll take a little bit of a contrarian approach. The, the downside to all of this is that they're still largely programmed by humans until we get to a point where the machines can start to program themselves. And as such, reliability becomes an issue. We've seen airlines go down because of uh, back-end IT systems that can't handle reservations that leave you know, hundreds of thousands of people stranded in airports. Uh, I think security is the thing that keeps me up at night when I think about IoT. It's uh, in, in looking at a lot of the IoT devices, especially things that have come out of CES in, in recent years, security is not uh, first and foremost in, in the mind of the developer. It's uh, consumer-grade security, especially for wireless network access. Uh, we had a big issue with a number of companies we talked to that were looking at Google Glass where it was shared key security. So I would never know what Google Glass device was on my network, who was putting one on my network, and, you know, Dave, uh, in reference to the article you recently wrote on LinkedIn, looking at things like backdoors that might have been left in. These are, are big, big issues when you start thinking about all of these devices potentially coming on a network. Absolutely. And, and the, the security, we, we, we took that on in a prior show, and it's actually going to be the topic of our next show based on that article, the thing that came out with, uh, with uh, um, a security organization uh, recently discovering backdoors in a room control system. And, and I've been a huge advocate, at least for the last year, saying that most of the integrated AV rooms that are out there are, are just nightmares waiting to happen. And if you do any research into all these devices that we're putting on the network, large organizations are setting up these huge firewalls and impossible to get into the front door, completely armored, USB sticks completely disabled. You're not allowed to send attachments. You're not allowed to do anything. And then they use a screen door on the back. So anybody can walk right into their network. So I think it's going to be a big thing that's coming up uh, um, going forward. Security, how are we going to manage, you know, um, firewalls on millions of devices that are hitting the network? It's, so I agree with you. It is a scary thing. The more benefits we get from it, the more 
I'm afraid that something's going to go wrong and people are going to get access to things that they shouldn't have access to. Well, Dave, as a counter, right, just as a counter act to that conversation piece, Erwin said he's worried about the human element programming the computers. Well, that's a fair, I think that's a fair uh, fear at this point, but two issues are, are coming to the fore. One, computers are beginning to program themselves, right? Just this week, um, just this week using deep learning technology, uh, a Google AI became, I think, about the third best Go player in the world. And for those who don't know about Go, it's an enormously more sophisticated game than um, chess, which was uh, first beat humans, by the way, in 1997 or world-class ones. And Go looks like it's now been solved. They're going to play the world's best Go player in a couple of months, and he wins a million dollars if he beats the AI. So, you know, there's some there's some high-stake stuff there, and, and they are effectively programming, programming themselves. This in, thing isn't taught. It's taught the basic rules, and then it goes away and plays it. The other thing that will happen, and, and not today, and I do agree that there's still an outstanding problem as we speak, but moving forward, it, it seems that what they're looking to do is make every piece of technology utterly unique. And I don't mean all Fitbits are, are uh, the same as each other. They will all be slightly different in the same way that all humans are slightly different. And you can do that by using deep learning and changing it differently so that if one thing is affected, it doesn't mean that all the things that look like it are also affected. Well, That's not out today, but it will happen. Simon, security is not just the concept of safety, although that's a huge thing, and I totally agree with that, and there's certainly a fear, legitimate fear there. But, you know, um, this was about my 15th CES. Honestly, I have to go back and count, but that's pretty close. Um, and, and I would say like eight or nine years ago, you couldn't walk three feet in the hall without seeing somebody that had a mobile phone case. You know, that was the, the, the Kleenex of the show, that everybody was showing their own stuff. This year, it was health tracking applications and, and, and fitness bracelets. You know, I mean, we would we'd make a billion dollars if we could come up with an unfit bit, you know, that, 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 that there was a joke that I made, the smolder instead of the blaze. But, but everybody's got them. Everybody wants them. People, and I think, you know, if you're going to spend that kind of money on something that you strap to your wrist, it should automatically just give you the body shape you want. There shouldn't be any additional work involved. Um, but the question then, uh, specifically around security, becomes privacy. Who owns that data? When you strap that thing to your wrist, what what click that when you install the software that you're saying accept, accept, accept? Where is your, that data on your health and your body shape and your heart rate and your shopping? Where is all that going? And how are you know people are you know you've said a million times right about who's the product? I mean the 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 where is all that marketing going? And is that a good thing for for technology in our industry? Well, I will say one very brief thing that Dilbert said in Dilbert's book of the future in 1997, I think that book came out, that in the future, there will be no such thing as secrets. In fact, what people will try to do is stop everyone in the world knowing every single thing that they do. And I think that social media would indicate that people can't help oversharing. Whether that's a good thing or not is open to debate, but it's certainly a truth. And, and I would hope it leads to an environment where where um, marketing becomes so targeted that uh, my spam folder is full of things that actually might interest me versus, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what I got this morning, you know, a, a conference in Australia that I really probably will not be attending. Uh, you know, so I'd love to see uh, so the information used for such targeted marketing that it maybe even cuts down on the amount of spam and, and unsolicited requests that we get. 
I like that. People are always uh, creeped out by targeted marketing. I, I you know, Google some some um, uh, guitar tablature, and the next thing I know, I'm on Facebook and I'm seeing all the advertisements for guitars, and it feels creepy. But I'd rather have advertisements for stuff I'm interested in than than random things and all the spam. So maybe it's a good thing. Uh, one quick thought on the on the security I wanted to to follow up on. Um, I'm always more secure uh, concerned with people leaking things than than systems. You know, you could hack into the control system into a room and maybe spy on it. That can be blocked. I'm more worried about the person leaving the the folder open on the desk. There was a great example a few years ago. It was it was a security conference. These are supposed to be people who are experts in security. And someone left a charger plugged into the wall for people to charge in their phones. It had code in it. It hacked every phone that that was that was that you, you know that charged in there. And it wasn't malicious. He was making a point. But he was saying, you know, this is a security conference, and people are plugging their phones into something they don't know what it is. So I, I think people will always be the biggest leakers of information. So, so what I'm hearing from you guys generally is that you're not all that worried about the security because it's always going to be people that are going to be the weakest element. Um, but on the other hand, it's something that's really out there. And I'm glad that you're not creeped out, David, by the, the targeted marketing. that Everybody really kind of appreciates that. But would you be creeped out by the fact that somebody has scanned your email, produced targeted information on you, and is selling it without your permission? Because that's essentially your property, not theirs. You know, that's a completely different side of the same story. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a feeling of how much did they know about me? <laughs> well, they know there's also, David, I would argue the case of they do have your permission. When you sign that agreement to use their application in page 999 of the document, it says we are allowed to sell everything about you. So technically, they do have your permission. Whether you realize that because you never read the agreement is up to debate. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever reads an, uh, an initial agreement. They just click on it to get through the buttons and start using the app. Yeah, we don't, we don't read them anymore. We don't care. We just want our stuff as quickly as we can. Um, so speaking about wanting on our stuff, I don't know if any of you guys followed. I had a very long segment on the show about um, a company that, that laser scanned my ear and produced custom headphones for me in an hour because they 3D printed them. Um, we're getting 3D printing of artificial limbs. We're getting 3D printing renderings, models, functional. I mean, I think there are people starting to print human tissue using that kind of concept. Do we think that's going to be a very disruptive change going forward this year, or is it still too early, still too nascent? Uh, I think it's going to be huge. Uh, I don't know that it will all happen this year. 3D printing is, or, or additive manufacturing, as they like to call it, although why don't just call it 3D printing, so everyone knows what that is, is changing remarkably quickly. Uh, I read the other day that your average American home has 300,000 different things in it, and the world makes about three, uh, sorry, about 10 billion different things every year. So these two coffee cups are two th are one thing, right? So the, these come from wherever they come from, and there's millions of those out there, but there's 10 billion different things. Once we get to 3D printing, then everyone can have unique stuff. There's that sense of, oh, I know what year you moved into this house because that's all the stuff that Ikea had that year, right? Everyone knows when, particularly if you're in your 20s and 30s, there was that your Ikea year was the black ash year. And that will change. And I think that the uniqueness is is very interesting. Uh, I think it will creep up on us. I don't think there'll be one year when it suddenly flips. Yeah, do, you, do you remember, Simon, I'm probably dating myself, I'm definitely dating myself, James Burke's Connections 
um, when he when he produced the um, the he took things out of his pocket and laid them out on a rock and said it was the first time in human history that people are carrying unique combinations of things, but nothing they're carrying is unique. And I guess you know now the technology has come full circle that we're now going to be producing mass producing unique things. It's just as easy to make my purple sneakers as it is to make your green sneakers off the same assembly line at the same time. Uh, uh, I couldn't agree more. And as far as uh, as far as connections is concerned, uh, other than the day the universe changed, which was another James Birch uh, series, probably the best television ever made. One, one, <laughs> one great show. Any other thoughts on 3D printing, guys, or should we keep moving? Yeah, I, I, it's in the schools already. So uh, you know, the, my my uh, middle school son comes home with 3D printed device uh, gadgets or toys, mostly plastic rings or whatever he's making and, and so on. So uh, the, the younger generation is definitely becoming familiar to it. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it's 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 still cost prohibitive. It's, it's still difficult for somebody to have all the materials in their home to print anything from a mug to uh, a plastic auto part. Uh, it'd be interesting, you know, to see if, if King, the next generation of a Kinko's is a 3D printing shop that you go in or you send them what you want to have printed. They print it for you and let you know when it's done. There's probably a business opportunity there. Yeah, there's something definitely very compelling about it. I saw a video recently. Uh, someone broke one of the um, propellers on his drone, and rather than ordering a new propeller, he 3D printed it himself. Now, maybe the time he took to do that, it, it, he could have just as quickly ordered the. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he saved himself any money or time, but there was something. There was just something I loved about that, just doing it yourself. I, well, I recently uh, had a hinge break on a cabinet, and it was a weird European hinge. I was in Home Depot like five times before I found the right one. I'm like, I, I just want to print this thing myself already. A friend of mine had a piece break in his toilet the other day, a little plastic, something to do with a ball cot, whatever it was. And um, the, the piece, he did this in the UK, the piece was 27 pounds to replace his tiny bit of plastic. And he, um, but he went to the website to find out what the part number was. And they said, if you want, here's the file to uh, 3D print it yourself. And he said, oh, that'll be interesting. And then he, he clicked on it and it said, that'll be 27 pounds. So what was interesting was the design to print it yourself cost the same amount as just buying the piece of plastic. But of course, you could get it more quickly. And I thought that was interesting, this sense that they didn't make any less money. In fact, they make more. It's effectively like a 3D uh, PDF document, but they charge you the same amount of money as the actual piece. So one of the things that we saw um, at CES this year was, was how important all of these various IoT devices um, will be in communicating with each other, with ourselves. First of all, this was the first year that we didn't have any problems with the, with I forget what the number was, 170,000 people in one city in Las Vegas, and everybody was able to maintain their cell connections and data, which I think was impressive. I really like that. Um, it was just as good as the CES app was bad this year, but I don't want to go down that rat hole. So, uh, but but everybody had connection. But all of the rest of these devices, you know, whether we're communicating via Bluetooth, whether we're communicating, uh, you know, via, via a cellular connection or a Wi-Fi that we were able to get, everything is now starting to communicate and collaborate. And this generation of people, Irwin, your son, my kids that are in college, are have this expectation now that whatever device they happen to be carrying has their content on it exactly the way they want it. Of course, they can get it off the network, however they're connected, and they can just start communicating with everybody else. And this generation of people is going into the enterprise, into our space, into collaboration, and trying, going to have a lot different expectations than the people that we've worked with 
traditionally up till now have had. Do you see that as a trend that's going to start impacting what's going on in the stuff that we cover? Anyone? Yeah, we. It's probably it's one of the biggest topics of discussion that I have within within user organizations is that increasingly, if IT is not providing a, a, a set of capabilities that people need, it's very very easy now for them to go out and download a Slack or a sign up for a Box account or or, or whatever and start to to use their own collaboration tools. And and often IT is left struggling because there are still corporate mandates in, in most mid to large size companies, especially regulated companies, for things like data retention and privacy and uh, you know, a good case in point just this week, or last week, I should say, Slack announced that, that because of so many freedom of information requests that are coming in to them, that they will now give their corporate customers the ability to export and archive conversations and read them. So, you know, my boss could read my conversations with my coworkers or something like that. Um, what we're telling organizations is that you really have to have a function in, in place that can that is looking at emerging technologies and looking at Rather than just saying no, uh, okay, maybe we need to adopt uh, team chat, video, uh, the ability for people to, sh to create their own videos and share them with, with coworkers and do that in a, in a manner that's uh, corporate approved versus you know, telling people to just go out and get whatever app they need, just again, because of the security and compliance uh, requirements. Well, that's that's actually something that I spend quite a bit of time covering in, in, in my practice. And, and, you know, it's changed so much over the last 20 or so years in that IT and enterprises used to be the, 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 the no police, the rule police. They'd go around and say, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. If you don't like it, tough. This is what we've decided on. This is what you're using. And, and I, I have a, a great blog out there, you know, a written story about how a colleague of mine was fired for downloading a piece of software from a company that was in his area, but he downloaded it on his own on a PC. And nowadays, if a corporate IT representative says no to a line of business, they say, okay, fine, no problem. And they take out their phone and they download an app. So in order for, for to, to stop this bimodal uh, IT that's, that's taking place and get rid of all the shadow IT, organizational technology people need to change from no police to business partners. I understand what you want to do. We have some guidelines you have to follow. Let's get your problem solved. Let's work together to find it. That's a major change filtering through IT organizations today, and a lot of them don't have it right. And the problem with IT organizations, and I consider myself included amongst them, is that we're really terrible at communicating most of the time. We, we don't really take that, no, this is the way I do it and I don't want to hear anything else. We don't really handle that I've got to do it differently very well. So we're really at that point right now where we're starting to see a lot of these changes take place in the enterprise. Well, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would argue that there is an issue that two things to consider. Uh, you're talking about by 2020, 46% of the working population will be millennials. So that's going to definitely affect the change. The other thing is that they, they reckon within five years, your average CMO, your average chief marketing officer, will have a bigger IT department budget than the IT department does. So what's happening is that the IT departments are, are not able, not unreasonably, to keep up with the business process changes that the businesses require. And I rightly, I, I agree with you, David, that there's that issue about they are previously the department of no. Well, not only can they not be that anymore, but they have another existential problem is that they can't be as good as the marketing department about what they want or the manufacturing department about what they want or the compliance department with what they want. So they're going to have to become very much more engaged with the business divisions. And I suspect that many of the IT departments are going to become effectively plumbers. They give the organization 
security and access to the internet and the rest of the world goes and does the rest of the departments, goes and does whatever it requires to get their job done within it. It's going to be interesting to see where IT fits in that world. So one of the things we've been tracking for the last couple of years has been the, the shifting role of IT to becoming almost an internal consultant. So that, and this ties really nicely, I think, into some of the discussions we had earlier around IoT. If you're a product group and you're looking at wearable devices and uh, health monitoring embedded into clothing and some of the, the things we saw out of uh, CES, where do you go for understanding of, of how I implement that? How do I tie that into data networks? How do I potentially hopefully secure it? it often you turn toward your, your own internal IT. So we're finding that increasingly 20, 30, 40% of IT's role is now consulting to internal business units versus keeping the, the network connection up and running and dealing with break fix and, and some more of the traditional services. I think a big tipping point was uh, eight or 10 years ago when we all first started to get these. And at that point, the IT police still had things locked down at business. And we all wondered, how are the IT police going to deal with the, you know, the, the, the ones who say no, going to deal with the iPhones? Are they going to not allow them in the workplace? Are they going to force you to put on apps that lock stuff when you come in? We had all these projections and, and you know, thoughts about what they're going to do. And it turned out they couldn't do anything. They just couldn't stop it. There was no way you're going to tell people leave your iPhone in the car all day or install an app that blocks what you want to do in it. So it reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings when the king says to the wizard, you have no power here. And after that, people started, I don't want to say losing respect, but realizing if there's tools that they want to use from work, they can use them. And there's not much that the IT police can do to stop them. And so I agree with you. Their role has shifted from being the sayers of no to saying, okay, if you want to lose Slack, use Slack or whatever it is, how do we support you now? Well, I, I think it goes back to how we started the conversation and that the way we work has changed. You know, the, the one of the things that I do, I, I give a presentation on workspaces for tomorrow at a lot of events. And, and one of those uh, uh, um, first concepts in that presentation is, is, are you working right now? And we have to ask ourselves that all the time. The reality of the definition of working has completely changed. If I'm at a coffee shop, if I'm doing my laundry, um, if I'm at, at a child sporting event, am I working? Well, I'm available to my colleagues. And if something comes up, I've given myself the power and the authority to look at it and judge, you know what, I really need to respond to this right now. There are times we all choose to go off the grid, you know, when something's going on, you know, with family, but those times are getting less and less and the grid is getting bigger and bigger. And, and as technologists and as, as thought leaders in the space, we have to come up with what the new balance is around this is what we're doing for working. This is how we can communicate. Yes, I am going to be working from my home office today. I am going to save the commuting costs and the carbon and, and, and save my, my, my company money. But in order to do that, we need to rebuild our tools in this whole new way. And that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see some of this IoT technology, some of the newer collaboration technology, some of the old stalwart firms changing and modifying in order to support the fact that we all work differently now. I mean, unless you're a barista um, or a construction worker or, or an artist or somebody who has to physically be touching things or physically be in a place like, you know, like an airline uh, crew, we're all working from wherever we are now. Absolutely. Cool. 
So, so let's talk about our area of expertise as we close this out, because you know we are all collaboration people. There's a lot of volatility going on in the in the industry right now. There are apps out there that are called, you know, uh, some some are called uh, virtual persistent rooms. Some are called workstream communications. I'm not that big a fan of new titles, you know, arose by any other name is how I kind of put it. But there's that going on. There's the fact that we are now building all of these wonderful open offices, and people still need to collaborate from wherever they are, whether that's you know sitting in a banquette or at a home office or on the subway or an airport, the technology's got to change. There are manufacturers vying for position. You know, there, there, there are whole companies are changing names in the last couple of weeks, new products coming out, new products that we've been waiting for for a while. What do you guys see as, you know, and not so much predictions with company names, but as trends in the collaboration space over the next maybe 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, David. Oh, well, you know, Slack is the fastest growing app, uh, business app in the history of the universe. So, you know, there are some people who still don't get it and say, oh, I tried it and it's just one more thing to check every day. It's not one more thing to check every day. I've been using it for my team since, since I found a Let's Do Video. Uh, I get one in, uh, internal email every month or so. If, if someone on my team has to forward something from someone else, I'll get an email from them. It, it's reduced my internal emails by 99%. And if there's a lot, I don't want to spend too much time, but there's, there's a reason, there's plenty of reasons why it's so popular. It's a lot more than reduction of email and it's going to continue to grow. Those who don't get it are going to start getting it. And uh, I think it relates to what we were talking before. People are going to have to learn how to support it in the workplace as opposed to blocking it in the workplace. Well, and it's going to continue right. to grow. Have you ever heard of a product called the Diamond Rio? Does that ring a bell? Anybody yeah. on, on, our, on our chat today? The Diamond Rio was the first MP3 player. Um, at a time when there were Walkmans and other things that are out there. And everybody said, oh, it's innovative. It's an interesting concept. Great. This company is going to go anywhere. They don't exist um, because people came along and did it better. Um, I really think that Slack is the Diamond Rio reincarnated. Um, it's a sieve when it comes to security. It's not enterprise grade. It's being used by small organizations like yours, but no bank or insurance company in their right mind would use that tool. But will they use a tool like that? by 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 an I, uh, iPhone or, or iPod company? Yeah, I think that you're starting to see some attention being paid by some of the bigger players into that whole concept. Once, and it's still very nascent and a lot of it still doesn't work, but once they get it right, you know, I don't think they're gonna be using the Diamond Rio, but I think that the, the product space is gonna stick around for a while. Yeah, I think it's the, uh, it's the, it's the product category that I'm excited about. I mean, I'm, I'm loving Slack because that's what I'm using right now, but it's it's the category which I think is going to be a big hit. And whether it turns out to be Spark or, or, or the Unify or whatever, or something new, uh, it, it will be something. Okay. It's here to stay. we got to pay attention to it then. Anybody else? I would say that you're right. We, we, we just started using Slack about a week ago, and, and it, it really is a game changer in terms of how we communicate and collaborate. And I love the fact that I rarely get email anymore. But, uh, and, and you know, you can tell Cisco is, is build, building around Spark and Unify. I spent last week with them at their analyst event uh, focusing on Circuit, Microsoft buying Taco. The, the big boys have caught notice, and they are looking at, you know, how do we deliver that same kind of experience, but integrated into video and communication applications that, that people have today. I think the other part of communications and collaboration that I'm finding real interesting right now is a lot of what we're talking about, this need to be constantly connected, always on a mobile device. If you dig into companies, that's about 20, 25% of the workforce in most of the mid to large size companies that, that we've studied. The remaining 75% are task workers. They spend all day in Salesforce or their insurance adjusters or their doctors or their 
uh, nurses or whatever, and they have very minimal collaboration needs, but they want, but the, the, the opportunity there is to embed communication collaboration into the applications that those people are using day in and day out. So rather than giving them another app and saying, hey, if you wanna make a call, switch over to Jabber, uh, make a call from within Salesforce, make a call from within the manufacturing application that you're, you're using to run your assembly line. I think that's gonna be real exciting over the next couple of years. Yeah, and unfortunately, one of the downsides of that, Erwin, is it creates a new class of gatekeeper. Because I, I know, um, a, a, speaking to a lot of the um, uh, uh, people in the medical vertical um, that use one application, that's the 300-pound the, the gorilla that's taking over the space. And now all of a sudden, they're dictating that everybody should use one specific version of collaboration, which frankly isn't my first choice for a number of legitimate reasons. But I can give a thousand reasons to a client why they should be using something else, but then they come back to me and say, it's the one that my gatekeeper recommends. So mm -hmm. I think you're going to start to see more people in the space that way, yes, and they're all going to be competing for who can embed and where where can they be embedded. Simon, any thoughts from you on this stuff? What's going on in our space and collab and, and, the yeah. and everything else? I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, to as a counterpoint to your statement about the Rio, and I do remember the Rio, I had one, it's like a pebble thing. Um, 90 something percent, over 90 percent of the people who go to work every day don't work at a Fortune 500. I know it's your world, but you're right, right? Slack's not the big beast for those that organization or those types of organization. One could argue, so what? Equally, I will say that um, who's going to win that space is probably moot. They probably don't exist yet, or if they do exist, it's such early version of the application that the one that really wins won't look like the one they have today. The thing that matters to me about this workflow stuff is that things like voice, things like video, things like instant messenger, things like email are now becoming applications that plug into this overarching technology, which means, and I think this is the bit that matters, is that for example, people aren't gonna buy, as they have in the past, a video conferencing technology, which was completely separate from everything else, right? I know a number of manufacturers, Cisco being the obvious gorilla in that room, but others did it too, made telephony solutions that also did video, and those didn't really work very well. So what people would do is they would have a decision set of criteria for telephony, a decision set of criteria for video, a decision set of criteria for instant messenger, and all of those could be different. And it didn't matter because none of them spoke to each other anyway. It wasn't the way that people did business. Silo now, every day still. Right, but, but things like Slack, if you, like David does, live in Slack, then everything he does needs to be part of that solution. If someone turns up at his door and says, I've got this great video conferencing solution, and his question is, does it work with Slack? And he goes, no. Well, I don't want to talk to you about it then. I, I just want to look at the things that fit within that world. And I think that will change the buying criteria for many customers and will be a, a highly interesting way that the world will change the way that it judges things. I, I get that point, Simon, but un until there is a ubiquitous platform that every small company is using, David can, and I'm sorry, David, we don't want to hang you out here, but but small organizations can can stay within, you know, their little siloed app and Katie bar the door and everything else until, for some reason, their their B2B requirement means they need to talk to another organization on a regular basis, and if they're in a different silo, they're screwed. 
You know, the the unless you're using something that's more universal and more widely accepted, and something that you know didn't have 500,000 passwords, you know, stolen on the internet the same day they were announcing a new round of funding, um, it's going to be very difficult for companies to communicate B to B. As soon as David wants to get on video with his banker, his gatekeeper application is going to fail. <laughs> Yes, perhaps. But but your argument, you see, leads to this, well, there must be one solution. And and I've been in technology 30 years and every year, every like when I started, I remember people said to me, oh, yeah, the world's going to go compact PCs because IBM had just killed themselves with OS2. They'll go compact PCs, they'll go Novell Network where they'll go uh, WordPerfect. No, no, I'm, I'm arguing the exact opposite, Simon. I'm not saying there has to be one solution. I'm saying there can't be one solution. I'm saying that we can't live in a world where one no, single no, siloed no. workflow app, there's going to have to be these intermediaries, these gatekeepers, you know, like Econo being purchased by Cisco. That's closed by the time this airs for $700 million. They did that for a reason. They happen to be one of the best players in connecting anything to anything. And that's going to be a huge space going forward. So I think, yes, those are trends we have to watch this year. Also, what will happen to the collaboration space now that Econo, who was probably the biggest independent, you know, uh, um, a glue organization is now going to become part of Cisco. What's going to happen? Are they still going to be able to connect to everything as much as they usually do? Will somebody else emerge? Will will all the other players that are doing that all of a sudden get bought up by other big boys? You know, so we'll now just have like again the three or four firms doing it. It's going to be a wild space to watch this year, in my opinion. Yeah, if history's any guide, then there will be a ton of consolidation in 2016, uh, and history's normally that. a pretty good guide. Okay, let's go around for last one. Yeah, and I, th I think we're already seeing it. Uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, I think we're already seeing it. Uh, Glip getting acquired. Um, uh, let's see, Fuse getting acquired. Uh, you know, Taco getting acquired. A, a lot of companies trying to buy into this this new collaboration market. So what, what would be in your last word? What would be the thing that, that you would tell everybody to kind of keep an eye on for the year going forward from a technology or collab or any space? Uh, I think the two things so that we've talked about, the team chat applications and the ability to take APIs from communication providers and build their capabilities into the into those gatekeeper applications that you talked about. Okay, David, your thought, last thought? Did we lose you, David? Sorry, I, I, had, I had muted myself. Um, oh my God. Another trend that I'm seeing is, and, you know, good practice if you remember to unmute yourself afterwards. Um, I'm thinking of video less as a product and more as a feature. Uh, when you're talking about, if I'm use Slack, if I need video, there has to be some video in there. Not really so much. It's so easy now. I could just put in a URL. If I want to jump into a, a Starleaf room with you and we're in Slack together, I put the link. We both click it and we're both in. It's, that's enough integration for me. Uh, we're using BlueJeans now. Uh, BlueJeans and Zoom have built-in Slack integration. We're in Slack. I type slash Zoom or slash blue jeans, and a link pops up. And I'm not thinking of it so much as a separate product. I'm not getting up from my desk and going to the video room to have a video meeting with someone. It's just a feature, whether it's an integrated feature or a hacked integrated feature, but it's just part of my Slack world now. Okay, embedded features, embedded apps, embedded capabilities. Simon, your last word? Uh, I think that it will be a year of consolidation as we've already discussed, but I also think it will be a year of diversity. I think that the idea that business departments are going to turn around to IT departments and say, what video conferencing should I use? And they will come up with a monolithic answer, I think, are over. I think that people will walk into meeting rooms and say, 
in this call, I'm talking to X supplier and they use Google Hangouts. And in an hour from now, we're talking to one of our clients and they use Skype for business. And then uh, an hour after that, we'll do an internal call and we'll do Zoom or whatever the technology is. And I think that users are moving away from this idea in the video conferencing space specifically that there is one answer for them. I think that there is multiple. All right, so our, our last second, Erwin, how can people get in touch with you if you want them to? Sure, uh, follow me on Twitter, I am Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R, or uh, erwin.lazar at nemertes.com. Terrific, David? You could follow me on Twitter at Let's Do Video, or my website at letsdovideo.com, and uh, sign up for my newsletter at letsdovideo.com slash newsletter. And Simon? Uh, at Simon Dudley on Twitter, and sdudley at accessionevents.com on the internet. And amazing, when I go to trade shows, the first thing I ask the people at the booths is, do you have a Twitter handle? And still, 80% of the people at the booths don't know what I'm talking about. Um, my name is David Danto. I really appreciate you joining us for this episode. Our next episode, we're going to deep dive back down into security, security of AV, security of conference rooms. Um, we had some great guests, and we talked about it the last time, but I think the world's changed since that last mainstream article came out. Um, thank you for joining us here on AV Nation TV. All the thoughts that you heard obviously are uh, belong to the people that, uh, that spoke them, including myself. Um, we appreciate you very much joining us, and we'll see you on the next show. Take care. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.